Welcome to the Brave Parenting Podcast, an examination of the Bible and how parents can apply God's Word to raising kids in a culture saturated with media and technology. We look at everyday issues from a biblical worldview so that you can trust the sufficiency of Scripture and apply its truth to your life as you raise and disciple your kids. Hello, friends. Welcome back to another episode in our Set Up for School series. We hope you have listened to our last four episodes. I think they are just rich in wisdom for every parent as we navigate education in a culture where online media content not only competes for our children's attention, but it also vies for their soul and their sense of worship and their worldview. If you haven't listened the past few weeks, I do urge you to go back and listen. All right, today we're going to shift gears a little bit, and we're going to talk about the spiritual education in the form of youth or student ministry. Whether your kids are at public, private, or homeschool, it is so beneficial for them to have a spiritual community where they can grow in the knowledge and discipline of the Lord. I know not every church has a youth ministry or a top-notch youth ministry, but the beauty of the body of Christ is that every youth ministry I know allows kids from any faith tradition and background to join them, right? They just love on middle schoolers and high schoolers and welcome them in. Sometimes though, as we all know, online media content can even hinder student and youth ministry. Just like at school, kids would rather engage with online content instead of with the youth pastor's message. They'd rather act like they're busy texting someone instead of trying to meet new people. And we know this happens And we know what happens in this context because, y'all, if you stood at the back of your church on a Sunday morning, you would see that adults struggle with the same exact thing. The phone is so alluring, so captivating, that the moment of boredom or discomfort, it just makes us want to pull out our phones and it becomes a stumbling block to worship and to discipleship. So today we're going to be talking with Nick Rogers, a youth pastor from Ohio where Chelsea and her family are currently stationed with the Air Force. Nick leads a successful and thriving youth ministry that is phone-free. Now, we're going to talk to him about why it's important to have phone-free youth ministry and the pushback he gets from parents and students. But ultimately, we're going to get his perspective of how online media content can lead our students away from Christ and what parents can proactively do about that. It's a really great conversation. I hope you enjoy. So here is Chelsea and I with Nick Rogers. Nick, thank you so much for joining us on the Brave Parenting Podcast. Go ahead and tell our listeners who you are and what you do. Yeah, my name is Nicholas Rogers, and I am the youth pastor or family pastor. I do it all here at uh, CCF or Central Christian Fellowship in Dayton, Ohio. And I love teenagers, and I love to preach to them and to give them the Bible and uh, just, yeah, anything that's involved in student ministry or family ministry, worship ministry, and lots of other things that I'm involved in here at TCF. So it's just a real privilege to be here with you guys. Thank you. I love this. So for our listeners that don't know, this is actually my home church. So Kelly has had her youth pastor on, and now I get to have my youth pastor on. (laughs) I want to kind of give our listeners a little bit of a backstory on actually why our family decided on Centerville Christian Fellowship to be our home church, because there's actually, there's a lot of good churches in our area to choose from. But what stood out, um, besides the amazing preaching and the curriculum that's used in Kidman, we loved that youth events 
for anything that the church does with the kids, they're all phone free. Like it kind of made you guys like a unicorn, like among all the other churches. So Nick, can you tell our listeners what led you to this decision? Why do you promote and and pursue kind of obstacle-free, really phone-free events for these kids? Fantastic. Yeah. I think one of the biggest things was I was just getting really tired of seeing phone addiction and it was causing a lot of distractions. And I want kids free to think, free, free to engage the content that we're talking about at those things. And so uh, you really can't think while you're doom scrolling TikTok or Instagram or Snapchat. And uh, I think I wanted to give a little disclaimer here and, you know, just to, to go ahead and just say, like, I think that as you guys have talked in past podcasts about the the rise in sexual content that's in social media and other things, the amount of exposure that was uh, not in our youth ministry, but just in, that I had been seeing across the board in uh, students' lives was becoming more and more of a problem. So explicit material being on lots of things, I did not want a youth retreat to be the first time a student would be exposed to something like that. I believed that that was a major reason uh, to go ahead and make a decision. But on top of that, I think there were other big reasons as well. Drama and other issues that are that happen at retreats, they were happening interpersonally with students. And that's just natural for teenagers to have some drama. But it was beginning to cause a lot of disunity and things like that in the group. And so things like one student would find out that they weren't a part of a group text that someone else had already started at Rebirth and they got really upset and really hurt. And then they started texting someone else and then you you get it, right? And so ultimately, I then came to what was the goal or what was the focus of the youth retreat? And that's, of course, Christ and his word and uh, worshiping him and growing in relationship together as a church family. And so I felt like phones was a big monkey on our back that wasn't getting anything, wasn't going towards that goal. So those were the bigger reasons why. So I imagine that one of the best results is that hopefully kids are actually bringing Bibles, like paper (laughs) bound Bibles into church, into youth group and retreats. What other results have you seen because of this decision to have those phone free events? Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing is, I guess I'm old school in those ways. I really hate uh, digital Bibles. I don't know why. And it's probably just because I love a good leatherback Bible. And I want students to enjoy the things that I enjoy too about that. Just opening up your own Bible and having it in your hands, just something special about that. So maybe there's a little bit of that in me too. But I do think that that was just something we really wanted to engage with was, is this worth you giving up right now to engage this content? And it always is. And so when I have to get onto a kid as they get out a phone on something, I, I tell them just straight up, you know, don't be mad at me. You chose to come here and maybe you didn't and that's okay. But I promise you, if you engage this content, uh, you will get something out of it and we can have a good discussion if you'll engage it. Yeah. It's just crazy because you think how much time is that of their week? Not very much. Their time in church, their time in the youth group or a retreat. We're only talking a couple hours a week that we're asking kids to be phone free. So, you know, of course, from the adult, we think to ourselves, we're not asking that much. But from what you see, you, when, you, when you engage with it, it is. To them, it's a lot. Yeah. And one of the crazy things was I started doing the math on how much time they actually spend at a student ministry 
just that they came to youth group alone. It was 80 something hours of a year. That's it. That's the only amount of time you get with us. Now you quadruple it if you come to the retreats and things like that, and you do the more deep dive things. And so that's why I push them so hard. And we spend a lot of time, Chelsea can tell you, on those events to make them as powerful as we can. But also, yeah, like when you start doing the math, like you're, there's not a lot of time left. This time's going to fly by and you're spending so much time other places. And so it's a special time when we come together. 80 hours in total for an entire year. That's crazy. I know workaholics who could put in that much, like in one week. Seriously, that's that's crazy. You know, you're like, you're talking about the Bible being so necessary for to, to be in their hands and to be able to turn pages. Like we believe, truly believe that the word is living and active. It's going to do more in that kid's hands than even what we could say or speak to them about. And so parents like really have to get behind that. And like, you know, sometimes we have, verbally affirm it. Like, yeah, of course we believe the word is living and active. But then when you don't have an actual Bible like in your hands to engage with, like functionally, do we really believe it? But I'm curious, what's the most common pushback, right, that you receive from parents who have to deal with this, right? Because it's parents are kind of crazy sometimes. Yeah, this is a really great question, Chelsea, because Inevitably, in youth ministry, you're going to get pushback on some things that you choose to do. But I can think of two ways I get pushback and how I handle them. First would be, um, we have those students who have medical conditions and that are controlled with smart devices. And for instance, we do have a couple of students coming to our summer retreat this year who have type 1 diabetes, and they use that to control their pump. And then also migraine medication, uh, one student has, and we have one student who has who needs hearing aids. And that's how hers are controlled. Those students are allowed to have their devices close to them, but they have to be concealed and never used for anything other than to monitor those conditions. And so, and I have had conversations with the parents that ask about those things. And I let them know clearly, like to abuse this would be a potential thing that we would need to have a big conversation about at the retreat. And I'm really happy that we have these amazing advancements in technology that allow them to be able to have a retreat and go on a retreat um, and be able to control it easily and their parents to help them in case they did have an issue medically, because those can be very serious conditions. And so like, we want to make sure that, you know, they're cared for well and they get to come, but also use it in this way as sparingly as possible. And the second way would be, this would not surprise you, but parents want to have access to their kids on their devices when they want to. Parents experience anxiety when they don't have access to their kids. And I understand that I have three boys, but it gives them a sense of control and access that they just always want to have. And so I seek to first engage them and encourage them that we have leaders coming on this retreat. We have a lot of them. They all have great phones that work really well. And they probably will get back to you a lot quicker than your own child will, because guess what? They're not going to be able to use their phone on this retreat. So even if they were to bring them. And so sometimes I really like to encourage them that regardless of whether their kid brings their phone or not, that they are giving them to the Lord in this way. And again, reminding the parents and our leaders as well, that this is meant to be a God glorifying rule that we could have a better week. And so if they bring their phone, uh, it is going to be a potential distraction for them and for their kid and for other people around them. And so I definitely just to like give you some categories 
because I think these are important when you're working with wisdom is if it meant, if it is the difference between, let's say a junior or senior coming on a trip that I know that they really should be a part of, I have in the past allowed them to keep a phone with a leader. And a lot of times the parent just wants to know that they could get a hold of them, which I tell them often, <laughs> this is the best way is probably through me or someone else. But those would be the the two big pushbacks and at least the way that I handled them. Yeah, I know that that pushback is just so common. We've all been conditioned to believe that we not only can we, but we should be connected to each other 24-7. But just look at <laughs> the past 10, 20 years. We actually don't. It, it actually, I think, is more harmful with that constant connectivity. And I get it. You know, on one hand, again, like you said, they want to just know that they can get in contact with them. It's not necessarily that they have to. I always, I was the opposite. I was just like, yes, go enjoy this phone free event. I am <laughs> so thankful. I'm so thankful. I totally trust the the leaders. I don't need to talk to you for five days. It's fine. <laughs> and it's good for both of us. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I know when my, the high school girls that I lead, we go on a, a spring retreat. They are just ecstatic. And so yeah. Uh, I kind of wanted to ask, do you see a difference between high schools, high schoolers versus middle schoolers, or even boys versus girls in how they, you know, handle having to be phone free? This will not surprise you. I know, right? <laughs> I'm asking a leading question because I think this I know the answer, question. but this is a great just making question. sure it's across the same across the board. Oh, it's amazing. Yes. Uh, no, the middle school guys could care less whether they have a phone or not. Um, they're just ready to get there and have a great time. Uh, the high school guys that are not pursuing a lady are definitely down to have a great time. Uh, the ones that would like to talk to them a lot in the evening, they are the ones that give me pushback, which I laugh every time they come to me with this question. But Nick, you don't understand. I'm like, bro, stop. That's <laughs> fine. We're not doing it. I'm not changing my mind. And you'll be fine. And then uh, you actually would have to talk to them in, to face-to-face, I guess, now. And then for girls, they definitely had a lot of pushback at times, uh, just because I, that's the way they communicate constantly. But by the end of it, they were singing the highest praise of the rule. They were like, this is the greatest thing. I just, by day three, I'd forgotten that I had one. And you're like, that's amazing. And so they were like, this was so good. So I've had zero student pushback this year. That's awesome. That's awesome. So for the parent, though, who is struggling, with that type of anxiety and fear, <laughs> what biblical hope and encouragement could you give them that would help them kind of put the, you know, take those fears captive, make them obedient to Christ? And that way their child can truly engage with not only the scriptural content, but just the relationships that occur in youth ministry. Yes. Okay. So this one, I have a lot of things that were on my mind as I was thinking about this type of question, because I think it's so good. And I really want to be intentional to help parents out because I too am a parent, but also I deal with students and parents and I've been doing it for like almost 13 years now. And I would say the first thing is I'm a parent. So I totally understand you. I get you. I love you. And I love your teenagers. And I love that we get to do this type of care for them and their well-being and, and really go out of our way to like really encourage parents and to also encourage students. Uh, there's a book called Untangling Emotions. We actually did a retreat on this one year, which was really cool. I wish I could redo it now because I feel like I've learned so much more. 
But uh, what he says in that when we love someone so much, there is some sort of anxiety that can be expected. And so if you are a parent and you love your kids and you really care about them, you will feel some kind of discomfort in that breaking away time. Now, by the time they're a senior, you're like, get out of here, you know, but, you know, in those initial years, it can be really hard. So I would just really encourage you with this word. God is a better and more perfect parent than you are. And you can trust that he does what's best for them. Even if they were in your care, he still does what's best for them. And when they're not in your care. So he feeds the birds and clothes the lilies, right? He does those things. And so I can understand the nervousness that comes along with that. But he may, <laughs> I love this. Uh, my wife helped me with this word because I love this phrase. Uh, he may be away from me for four days, but he's not away from God for four days. And that's a really good word that I just was so like blessed by by her as we, she was thinking about it from a mom's perspective and just thought that was beautiful. And secondly, I think, how can our children ever learn to make their faith their own if they never get to experience faith in a context away from us? That's really important. I think that's important to begin that process at the teenage years. And I believe that this type of event that's geared for them and to them is a perfect way to do that. And so all that to say, here's the wisdom side of it. We've, at least in terms of the ministry that we're a part of, we've been diligent to do the background checks and local youth ministries and make sure that we're we're doing all the practical biblical wisdom side of things. So back, background checking leaders, training their, training our leaders to identify um, very important things like, let's say, abuse patterns and things like that, that they see that they're hearing from a student, those kinds of things, mandatory reporting. It goes on and on. There's a big, great book on that by Deepak Raju called On Guard. And that's like one of our manuals <laughs> that we use here. And so I've uh, developed our student ministry, like a big pattern based off that book. So it's really, really helpful. And the third thing would also be um, some of our favorite theologians, 38 Special. They said uh, they have a song called, and here's one of, it's one of the most famous songs that I ever heard. Just hold on loosely. Don't, don't let go. If you cling too tightly, you're going to lose control. And that was a joke. It's okay to laugh. I'm, well, I'm thinking like, you know, what is it, vanilla or is it MC Hammer or Vanilla Ice? You got to pray just to make it through the day. And I. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, it cracks me up. So I just love that. But let me actually encourage us with the Bible. And this was really what came to my mind uh, just for my heart. And so I was thinking about parents and this this new stage of life where they are beginning to let their kids kind of explore and spread their own wings and their own faith. Uh, in John 16, it says, Jesus responded to them, do you now believe? Indeed, an hour is coming and has come when each of you will be scattered to his own home and you will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone because the Father is with me and I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world, but be courageous. I have conquered the world. Now, he did say that to his disciples, but I think John records that for our benefit. So the Holy Spirit is using that for our benefit, that there is a sense in which our kids, they have to go one day, right? Like they have to, there's a sense in which they are growing up and that's hurting us a bit, but Jesus is a better savior, friend, parent, like all, all the good things that we want our kids to have. And so that's what I would encourage us with. I'm just like thinking through this and it sounds, when I thought about having you on the podcast and just talking about phone-free events. I didn't realize the intentionality that goes behind it 
to make this happen. You know what I mean? It's not, you guys aren't just saying, don't bring your phones. It's don't bring your phones because we're prepared to have your kids without phones. Like, And as a parent, that just comforts my heart so much too. But one of the other things that I love is that you've always had an open invitation for parents to come join their kids on Sunday nights at youth group. And I've gotten to know the leaders because I've taken you up on that a few times. And I have a kid with a medical condition as well. So sending her off without a phone, it does. Like it scares me a little bit. You know what I mean? Because I don't know if she's going to have to use her pen or whatever. But I see that they take it, they take on the responsibility of loving and protecting and overseeing your kids with great care and concern. The leaders really do put the kids before themselves. And that is something that has really helped the anxiety in my heart is getting, is developing a relationship with some of the other leaders. I trust them a lot more. So that's just something I would throw out there to parents is if it would scare you, get to know the leaders. That's just been a great comfort to me. But I kind of want to pivot a little bit because now I want to have you speak to kind of like to youth pastors. So I think there are a lot of youth pastors in the United States that would really want to do something like this. They recognize that phones at events are really keeping kids from fully engaging with the material, i.e. the Bible. So what are some practical steps that you could give youth pastors who want to do phone-free events? Like what could they, like if they turned off the podcast today, what's one of the first three things you would tell them to do? Yeah, first I would say you need to know the what the events you're doing and the reason for doing them. So if you're planning this amazing event retreat and Christ is the reason for the retreat, like you said, the Bible, the, the the truth, the word of God, phones play no part in that. They really don't help that. You don't get the full attention of a student when they have this nagging uh, dopamine hit ready for them <laughs> somewhere else, right? So if that's been removed, then you actually do get the goal, which is engagement in the content. Uh, and I've had amazing opportunities to see that happen firsthand. So it's been really, really special. Uh, so first, I would just say, just know why you're doing it. And then what event, why are we doing these events and for what reason? Second, so what are the goals uh, that you have for their spiritual life? Are phones accomplishing that goal or preventing it? And then you need to show parents and students how those things don't accomplish the spiritual goal. It, sometimes, you know, like the parents just see red when it's like, wait, I don't have 124-7 accents to my kid for four days. Oh no, this is the end of the world. And I'm not trying to be mean. That's just true. I, I have that same anxiety when it comes to like schooling and other things. So, but I have to understand that there's a spiritual goal to this, to this particular thing. And it's very special in that way. And third, I think we just, as youth pastors, when we make big decisions like this, and we've thought about it so much and it all aligns in the goal, which is the spiritual formation of kids, then we've got to hold the line. And then we have to recognize that student souls are more important than parents loving me and affirming me all the time. And that this retreat being phone free can allow your student the mind space to actually engage God and his people. And so my wife, Bethany, uh, reminded me that of the first time I was sending out our summer retreat, which is our biggest one, would be completely phone free. If I saw one, I'd throw it against the wall. The joke that I made with, with parents about that. But she said, I was like someone gearing up for a special operations event. Like there was this like extreme tactical like issue coming up. And then, you know, the church was going to come at me with pitchforks and for my job. And 
I will tell you, uh, I did get a lot of pushback on it, both student and parent, but it was worth it because like you said, Chelsea, we, we were prepared. We had a goal. We know what we wanted. And the Lord moved in powerful ways, which is should not surprise me. But in the moment, it was difficult. So I didn't want to say that as somebody that was like the pillar of strength all the time. You know, I definitely had a lot of anxiety. And I knew there would be people that would push back on me hard. And then just like when we had a, uh, this would go back like seven years, but I made a bathing suit rule that no one would have, be like, everybody had to wear t-shirts and long pants, you know, it was the same thing, <laughs> you know, like tons of pushback on it. And you're like, what is the goal? What, what are we actually here for? Yeah. So I'd imagine that now that you've kind of got these systems in place, of course, there's not nearly as much pushback because it's the culture. And that's, of course, what we are always encouraging parents to do is to create a culture that really promotes healthy screen use inside the home, outside the home, because that is really what it's about. And I know that There probably are a lot of youth groups and churches around the country that do uh, the summer retreats, the camps, and that sort of stuff that are phone-free. But if we think about just the weekly events, I know something that really struck me at a church that we were at about 10 years ago was how much they promoted, the youth pastors promoted, hey, follow us on Instagram, follow us on Facebook, follow us here. That way we can keep you up to date on all of the events. And my kids would come home and I don't allow social media until 16. So for all of middle school and all of freshmen and, you know, some of sophomore year, they did not have that. And so, of course, they felt even more. Even the church has these apps. You know, of course, I was the worst parent ever because if the church is promoting it, how could I stand there and say that they shouldn't do this, right? So obviously, y'all know me. So I went to the youth pastor and of course, you know, expressed my concerns, you know, can we just talk about that a little bit less from the stage? Do you know that there are parents doing this hard work on this end and how much? And they didn't even realize. They didn't even realize that. So how would you maybe suggest that parents could approach their youth pastor in that regard, you know, in a, a right, a loving brothers and sisters in Christ, but this is an issue, um, a way that that could maybe bring about change in their church? Well, that was a really great question. And the way you framed it was really, really helpful. I think that first, what I would always encourage any, any parent that loves their church and their youth minister as much as they do, uh, would be that they would just, do they care about them, right? This is a first kind of step is like, do you care about them? Do you know them? Have you encouraged them if, in the good that you've seen in them, especially if you've been a part of the church for a long time, you've had multiple students go through the process. Have you pointed out the amount of time, work, energy, mental strength, all those things that they've given to that? If not, I would just say that that's always the first step. <laughs> it's always good to encourage, not to set it up for what you want it to be, but be someone who encourages those that give a lot of time and energy to your kids as much as possible. Because it is a hard job <laughs> at times, for sure. Um, second, there is a way to talk to youth pastors about our concerns in a very constructive way. It sounds like you definitely went that way. Like, hey, this is kind of causing a lot of conflict and and issues at home. You know, like, please, like, consider something that's going on here. You know, like, that was a really good approach for sure. So constructively, if your youth pastor is already doing a good job, Right. You're already at a healthy church. They have a really healthy youth ministry. They preach the Bible. They do small groups well. They they're they're pouring in in really good ways. 
I would just say, do what you guys always do with this podcast says, which is give people scripture and data. This podcast is very good at that. So articles that, that give positive results to ministries that show them the, the harm that phones can do on retreats, and they're not going to help them accomplish their goals. So arm them with data and the facts, and then brainstorm with them, give all your expertise and all this work that you've been doing with them to encourage them and to also be a part of the change in those kinds of things. Also, I really just think it's always good to never create an ultimatum. Yeah. That could be a James three through four issue uh, (laughs) that we don't want to create. So, and third, just gather good reasons that are aligned with the mission of discipleship with the church and also with the youth ministry and that they've already been promoting to you. And so offer to be a help. Offer to be a voice, to support, to speak up, to to stand in the gap with those other parents and be one of the frontline people like, hey, if you need somebody to stand in the way to help you be not take all the hits, I'll do it, you know, because I believe in um, what we're talking about here. So some parents can just like want change, but never want the criticism. They're okay with the youth pastor receiving all the criticism and they don't want to be the one that was like, actually that might've been me <laughs> like that. That might've been my question, uh, those kinds of things. And so hopefully that, that was helpful in that way. I think it really is because my next question is going to be like, help us define like medium where they are. You know, that's something that we hear a lot within like evangelism. And maybe that's a justification that youth pastors have used in the past. Like, well, I'm just trying to meet your kids where they're at and they're on Snapchat, they're on Instagram, right? I'm just trying to connect with them yeah. and be relevant with them, but kind of just backtracking a little bit to what you just said about ministry, like it really gets down to the heart of what is your ministry? What is your intention and purpose? And I think we've redefined what ministry is in this like new technology. And I see so many people who are like, well, Facebook is my ministry and Instagram is my ministry. They just need like positivity. And Kelly and I actually covered this, right? Like that whole podcast of five myths of Christians and social media, but ministry is self-sacrificing. That's how God has always defined it. My husband and I just were talking about this this weekend and it's so, it's so poignant. It used to be, you know, this whole meet them where they're at was like, okay, if they're in the bar, well, then I'm going to go to the bar and I'm going to minister them. But social media has made it to like, you're not just going to the bar, you're the bartender serving up the drinks. You're serving them this content on a constant basis. Sure, it might be scripture. Sure, it might be pictures of, you know, whatever events. It might be all this stuff, but you're still serving up this content that's keeping them constantly engaged. So I think that that idea that you were just talking about, it has, social media has changed that ballgame completely. I just wanted to add that that image of being the bartender, not the minister who's just going in the bar and taking them out. Well, I would even say, oh, it's like a mall, right? Like you're one little tiny shop and then everybody's just in the horde. And they're like, oh, that's a nice little Christian post. Blah, like everything else is is way bigger and brighter. And it's really hard. Like, man, the Holy Spirit can do anything, right? He can, he can engage anybody anywhere, but those, that was really good. Kelly, that was really helpful. Okay, so then Nick, help us kind of parse out, let's dice it up real quick. What does meeting them where they are actually mean? If it doesn't mean meeting them on social media, like in their spaces, what does that mean? So I felt like there was a way to take this positively and a little bit negatively. I think that more, it's probably, 
I was just trying to think like, what's the best way I could understand that content or that little, that little phrase of meeting them where they are. It reminded me of John 17, I guess, if you wanted to take this in like the best light, like this idea of being in the world, but not of the world. I'm calling, I'm saying you, they be there, but yet protect them in your name, right? Those kinds of things. And then that I won't lose one of them, guard them, those kinds of things. And so youth ministry, they really want to promote, I do believe like in their hearts, they really want to promote Christ and get his message of the gospel out to students and where they are, which is a lot of them are lost, right? There's a lot of lost students and where are they? They are online. They are in the mall or in the bar, let's say, right? They're there. They're taking gobbling up all the content that they see there. But, um, and I love seeing amazing gospel conversations, great teaching, all those kind, those little short clips. Those are so helpful. The Gospel Coalition did an apologetic series that was like one minute videos. Like that's the kind of stuff that I think is really, really engaging and helpful. The problem is it gets lost or it never gets seen. The only people that are going to see that are your students. And rarely will they, unless they are really looking for it, is it, it's very hard for the algorithm to actually get that into their face, you know, those kinds of things. And so that would be putting it in the best light. So yes, it's great that we have mission, like great organizations that are putting out great content. I just don't think if you look at it from the harder way, that that's exactly what youth ministries are always doing. A lot of times it's to mainly just promote things, which is fun. I do a little bit of promotion on Instagram, but I definitely don't say anything about it. It's more just there uh, and those kinds of things. But there are a lot of lost students out there and social media could potentially like help you get one kid to one event. But I find that the personal touch has always been what God uses. It's always been somebody having a conversation with you directly to your face that cares about you. Um, I can remember one recently he had, I, this was probably like six months ago, just to give an example. He came because someone invited him. It wasn't because he saw anything on social media. He couldn't care less what I post on social media with our youth group, but it was that student who went out of her way to constantly invite him and to, to share Christ with him, even though she was struggling a little bit, that, that's always going to be the main touch. And so we don't need to think that social media is somehow the, the miracle piece that somehow gets kids into the kingdom. That's actually not going to always be true. That might get one or two, right? So we, I'm glad that there are people putting that content out there. But for me personally, I'm going to spend all my time face-to-face with, with students. That's going to be my main goal. And I've seen that be the most shockingly, right? The Bible says the most powerful way to get kids um, close. And so one of the, the, just in general, just to wrap that point up on meeting them where they are, Paul says this really hard phrase, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. Is social media self-promoting? Absolutely. It's actually the main thing it is. It's to promote me, love me, look at me, think I'm awesome. Look how much I'm struggling. Like even in our self-deprecating sides, like we just want people to see us all the time. And what should the church always be? Well, I see you. Can't get that on social media necessarily. It's always going to be the people that know you, that see you outside of social media that will really be big voices in your life. And so a lot of times what I see in youth group is just look how epic and awesome our stuff is and then come do that. And it's like, that's not really going to be what we want. 
I would just say and encourage uh, parents out there, if you think, oh, I don't like teenagers, <laughs> I don't ever want to serve in youth ministry, it is the most amazing experience. I absolutely love, 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 love pouring into high school girls. And now I don't always love my own teenagers, right? Because I'm their parent. But having personal relationships with, <laughs> you're all laughing. Having the personal relationship over the past, now they're going to be seniors, they do not look at their phone when they're with me at all. They are not posting stuff on social media. I have brought them from basic Bible knowledge because I just love God's Word so much. I mean, we're studying systematic theology and doctrine this summer, right? So it, they love it, and it is just, it's just so, it's so good. I'm sure you can attest to, I know Chelsea can attest to, they are just on fire. They want more. They want more real life relationships. They don't want more screen time. That's just the natural default. They don't want to be on social media. They just don't know any other way to live. That's right. That's right. That's what an addict does, right? Yeah. I was just going to say, Kelly, I, I was um, talking with my former Bible study partner at our last church in Maryland, and I told her literally three days ago, I loved teaching women's Bible study, but I didn't know that I could love teaching teens even more. Like, you know, we did the summer or the spring apologetics and social media thing at church. And the kind of like consistent theme throughout all of it was Hebrews, don't give up meeting together. Like, because those those voices that you were talking about, Nick, like your personal relationships are going to be, they're going to speak so much deeper and clearer than than those voices on social media would. So uh, we did, we've been doing a book club at my house along with a Colossian study. And the girls last week said, we don't want to give up meeting together. Like, what could we do through the whole school year? And I was kind of blunt with them. I said, okay, I love this. And I will be so dedicated to you guys. We could, let's do Francis Schaefer's like, how then, how now should we live? Like, <laughs> yeah, we're just going to do church history. Okay, here's your assignment. You have this many Charles Spurgeon yeah. sermons yeah. to read. And, <laughs> and now you gotta dissect them. But it's and I and I said, listen, I will be so dedicated to you guys, but this is what's gonna happen is school's gonna start and you're gonna want to and your your parents are gonna say, like, you wanna do sports, you wanna do this extracurricular, you wanna do all these other things. I said, but listen, you might have to learn how to say no, right? If this is what you really want. Because listen, you guys, teenagers. The most wonderful thing about them is they do not, they can smell hypocrisy from a mile away, which is why they crave capital T truth, because they don't want to be that hypocrite. So why not give them that capital T truth? And I just love it. They're so hungry for it. They're like a sponge, right? Like there's so much, oh, I've never, again, I love teaching women's Bible study, but teaching teens, man, they're awesome. They're so awesome. So just to kind of like wrap it up, Nick. Obviously, you work extremely close with students. You hear kind of like the bottoms of their heart, so to speak. You hear the prayer requests and the struggles and the fears that sometimes adolescents really just don't necessarily want their parents to know about. And we don't want you to break anyone's confidence or anything like that. But we just kind of want to give you this last few moments to just speak to the parents. What is something that you would like to share with parents about the kids you've discipled and technology? Wow. I reflect on this question a lot in general uh, before even this is just such a important thing. So I hope everyone makes it to the end <laughs> so that they can hear these little last bits of like 13 years of wisdom plus 
I was saved in youth ministry. So like youth ministry is so important. <laughs> it's so important. It stands in the gap. It It is after Christ for teenagers. And I just love, love, love what I get to do. So all of that to say, you know, for me, I need parents to know, and this may be too strong and you can edit it out if you need to. But if you have a son or a daughter and you give them an unrestricted phone with no software, nothing else, you are handing your kid a porn addiction. You're giving them a sinful, broken world that they can have complete access to anything they want. And that's just not something that a 14, 15 year old kid can deal with. They just can't deal with it. Their brain literally cannot deal with it. And the stats really just speak for everything. And I have seen that up close and personal. It's definitely 85 to 90% males. You know, the, the ladies, I'll let my lady leaders tell you more of the percentages. They're high of people that have unrestricted access to things, unrestricted YouTube time, unrestricted everything. And it's a staggering number and it's a staggering problem. And it's so hard to counsel because you need, like as Chelsea's counselor, right? Kelly, I know that you've done a ton of counseling too. It is so hard to meet the need of just one person that is in that struggle to like the way that teenagers are. And so just for me personally, it is worth the money to buy Pinwheel or Bark or the other great uh, different programs. And uh, they have great resources on this website. So just go to the resources page and you'll find it. So go to Brave Parenting. Their resources are awesome when it comes to those things. So please get on that. That just is number one. You got to do it. Do it right now. Even if your kid's a senior, do it right now. <laughs> like whatever it takes to like help your kid um, in their brain in this season of time as they're they're taking in all this new worldview and information. And so that's just the biggest thing I would say about technology is like, it's a huge warning, uh, but I say it to our rising sixth grade parents every year is that they have to be thinking about that. And also, if you buy your kid a phone, your young teenager a phone, you are not actually buying their love and friendship when you do that. You're not actually getting their love the way that you think that you are. That's just called manipulation or, hey, you only love me if you give me this, which is actually not the gospel. That's not how we learned about Christ. That's not how we think about love in general. And so I would tell you as a result, so what I've learned about disciple discipling, the parents that have the best relationships with their kids are the ones who take them out to their favorite coffee shop, their favorite boba tea place, their favorite hiking spot, play disc golf with them, whatever it is, and they actively do it with them. And they really engage with sitting with them and reading the Bible, which will be uncomfortable the very first like three times you do it. But by the hundredth time, it will be so like commonplace that you just get the Bible out and you start talking, right? And they will always know that that was what you cared more about than what phones you gave them. Because by 25, no one looks around and is like, man, I can't believe my parent didn't give me a phone until I was 16, you know? But I hope those are encouraging words because those are going to be the things that matter most to your kid. It really is. We always say the end goal is not happiness. We have bought a lie that the end goal is happiness and it is not. It is holiness. Holiness is our, our end goal for our children, for thus their salvation, their continual sanctification as they grow in the knowledge and discipline of the Lord. Yes. We have a missionary family 
back for some R&R right now. And I had an awesome time talking with Sarah, the, the mom. And uh, she was talking to me about culture, like what type of culture they are because they're in Senegal. And um, hopefully we're actually going to have her on the podcast in, this, in the future. But um, she was telling me about how one of the women that she's kind of discipled was a 15-year-old child bride. And I just, you know, my mind, I was just blown away because I have an almost 15-year-old, so I can't even imagine, right, something like that happening to her. And I thought that is, I just sat there stunned. But then I thought, man, don't we load our children down with the same kind of adult problems when we give them an unrestricted phone? Like, aren't we just as bad to let them engage in that type of content at 14, 15 years old, sometimes eight or nine years old? So you know, like a little, there's a little hypocrisy in me at first when I thought about that. But then I was like, man, we're, we're no better sometimes because we just, we do it. Like we're, we're just as bad. Um, and we think it's a good thing, but it, it's so destructive for these kids. It's so destructive. Yeah. And it reminds me of Matthew 7, 9, who among you, if his son asks for bread, gives him stone. They're asking for connection. They're asking to be able to connect with people, but we give them phones and think that that is authentic and think that is good. And the writing's on the wall. It's destructive. We need to stop giving them stones, start giving them bread, start giving them the opportunities to connect, connect in youth groups, connect with other adults, other mentors who can pour into their life. Well, Nick, this has been awesome. I have loved your wisdom, your insight, and your promotion of Brave Parenting. Thank you for (laughs) for being a fan. You need another fanboy, just let me know. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. All right. Well, thank you again for your time. We appreciate you. It's awesome. Thank you all. All right. What a great interview. You can tell how excited and fired up Chelsea and I get when we talk with others who are equally passionate about keeping kids off media and technology and discipleship. Okay, but listen, brave parents, I know it feels like there are a hundred things that you should do. And another hundred things that you shouldn't do when it comes with kids and their online media content. I hear from parents all the time, and I know that you just want a list, a comprehensive list of exactly what to do, how much to allow, when to allow it, and how to enforce it. But no such list can possibly exist because the internet and online content is forever evolving. And really, it's just growing in more profane and immoral ways. This is why we talk about worldview. We can't possibly provide a checklist for raising a child to know and serve the Lord and not be addicted to video games or social media in the process, but we can point you to the life of Jesus Christ. We can point you to scripture. It is sufficient and it is all that we need for this life. And Jesus, he's our example, right? He suffered. And as 1 Peter 4.12 says, we shouldn't be surprised when Our life as a Christian feels like suffering because we too are called to suffer like Jesus did. And that's what this is. It's it's rejecting the ways of the world. It's basically saying, yeah, the world is going to go this way. We are not. Several of our guests have all pointed to this exact idea that we are called to be different and our kids need to realize that and it is going to be hard. It is already hard to raise a teenager with online media and screen content, even if you weren't trying to be a Christian. (laughs) There are tons of non-Christian parents who are struggling with this. So then you add the fact that conservative Christians are pretty much hated these days. Yes, it's going to be hard, but 
It is far better to suffer than to sin or to lead our children into sin. So I urge you, parents, to count it all joy, as James says, when you suffer for the gospel, when you suffer for the discipleship of your children, when you're suffering to keep their minds pure and ultimately for the salvation of their souls, right? We just need to keep doing the next right thing, even though it's hard, even though it feels like suffering. So that is all the encouragement I've got all the time we have for this week. Thank you so much for listening. Please share the podcast with your friends across the country, different churches, different youth ministries. I think everyone needs this. Our kids need this. So make sure you share this. And if you love the podcast, would you give us a five-star review? That certainly helps the algorithms get our podcast out for more to listen to. And don't forget to sign up for our email newsletter at braveparenting.net forward slash newsletter. This allows us to be email friends instead of social media friends, which ultimately we want to do. We want to keep you as parents informed, but not necessarily scrolling social media all the time. All right, friends, until next week, where we have another great episode for you. Go and be brave.